Greetings, listeners in listener land. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, government, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. We originate from and connect the Gateway City to what is happening regionally, nationally, and internationally. Yeah. He's a guitarist, songwriter, recording engineer, producer, and former music professor who played with Wild Cherry, mm. Molly Hatchet, and currently plays with Foghat. He received two Grammy nominations, an American Music Award, two platinum records, three gold records, six records he engineered reached number one on the Living Blues radio charts. He has appeared on the Grammy Awards Midnight Special, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Mm. And when he was with... Wild Cherry, they toured with Average White Band, Isley Brothers, Earth, Wind and Fire, Jackson 5, and the Commodores. We're talking to guitarist Brian Bassett from wow. Foghat. Welcome, Brian, to St. Louis in Tune. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. While you guys are going to be playing, I'm going to kick this off right away, April the 13th at 8 p.m. at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville. And mm. what a concert that's going to be. You're, you've been on, on tour this whole time, or you're, this is, where is this in your tour schedule? This is uh, really sort of the beginning of our tour. Uh, we, we had played a couple shows. We did a cruise not too long ago. Uh, but really, we kick off in uh, the end of March. And, uh, you know, and our main touring season is pretty much May through November. So we'll be out there all year long. And you do like a gig a week or a gig every couple of weeks? Or how, how frequently are your, sh- are your shows? I think once we get into the summer, we're three or four a week. And uh, other than that, maybe, you know, two or three is probably my, our average. Wow, so you have to have some kind of endurance to do that, but you've been doing this a long time, being on the road. I have, but, you know, our, our saying is uh, we play for free, we get paid to travel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, take us, take us back to that uh, Harmony Rock guitar that you first got when you were a kid. Oh, boy. And what, what was the, the motivation for you to really go and, and really hone those skills on that guitar and and how old were you i'd like i'd like to know how old you were when you started there i was uh probably a pre-teen i think i was probably 12 13 and uh you know ed sullivan show with all the great british invasion bands you know was on every weekend and i think everyone in my neighborhood either got a guitar or you know some kind of a snare drum or something so there was a lot of basement garage bands that you know in those couple years there and uh once I got that that red guitar, it was a bright red Harmony Rocket one. I just rebought one on eBay not too long ago, too. It's oh. not the exact one, but the same model, uh, just to relive it. But when I opened up that case on, uh, you know, it was a Santa Claus gift. And uh, and Santa Claus, my parents, of course, they uh, they included a couple Jeff Beck records. So they, they put up a, <laughs> a pretty... Now, you know, I don't know if that was by chance, but I was like, okay, well, what a way to start, you know, trying to copy Jeff Beck, my favorite guy over the years. But so, uh, yeah, it was uh, you know that new guitar smell. And, you know, I went nuts and um, had some uh, guitar lessons by a local uh, old big band guitarist. Jerry Condorado is a, a a nice old Italian gentleman. He used to drive up in his Rambler, and my mother would chase my sisters out of the house, and I, you know, once a week had a lesson. So I uh, got off to a good start and just got the bug real early. Wow! And mom and dad were rockers then with Jeff Beck. <laughs> I know. Could you imagine? Uh, yeah. Like, okay. Well. <laughs> That's they great. Like Gloria, or you know, 
<laughs> I, I, my mom and dad were listening to Nat King Cole, stuff like that. Right, uh, right. Uh, uh, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. Right. You know, and I say, yeah, well, that was a good one. It was, but I was like, hey, I want to hear some rock. Can I hear yeah. some rock and roll? It you might know. blow up the record player. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, they didn't like that. <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, Jerry, and what, you know, musicians always have a, an affinity for their teachers in, in one way or the other. A lot of times they, they love them or they hate them. And uh, he obviously gave you a lot of good uh, foundational skills. What are some of those skills that you really got from Jerry that helped you become a, uh, the guitar player that you are today? You know, uh, he was not a rocker at all. <laughs> and I learned all uh, these old big band classics. And so he taught me to read music, first of all. Uh, and then we worked out of the Mel Bay system, you know, one through 12. There's little, the books, you know, as you advanced in technique. But it, that's what he taught me, really, was proper technique, hand position, um, and reading. And, uh, you know, of course, I applied that to, uh, after he left, I'd slap on a Kinks record or something. But <laughs> when he was there, you know, we learned these very basic uh, songs. Um, but, I, you know, I learned proper hand technique, really. That was what he taught me, and, and reading, I think, were the two main things. So when you go away to University of Pittsburgh, and, you, and you're working on your degree, and you're kind of playing in some groups and things like that uh just kind of catching up with other guitar players and exchanging uh stories and exchanging some kind of uh you know chords or things that you're doing absolutely yes and uh pittsburgh was a really great music city at that time i mean there was dozens of clubs to play you know i we played one of my early bands we would play five nights a week in a different club every night and uh you know, cover music, of course, and we were just beginning to learn to write songs, but mostly we were playing top 40. But it was a real proving ground for uh, learning your craft, and uh, and uh, I did, really, if it wasn't for that, I doubt I, I would be what or I am today. And uh, it was just so many great musicians over the years. And then in the 70s, um, you know, during Wild Cherry era, there was dozens of groups playing original music. It was almost like Seattle became later on as a, you know, music hub, and um, so yeah, it was a beautiful place to learn to play, and uh, you know, eventually we had that hit record out of there. So you were what twenty two when that uh, number one hit came, and uh, that's right. Wow, wow, and and you guys had been playing together for for how long? Just a couple of years, uh, but we uh, Rob Parisi, who was the band leader and wrote you know wrote play that funky music, um, had a band called Wild Cherry before. I joined, and he had disbanded it and decided to give up music, and he was managing some restaurants, and uh, that lasted about a year, and, uh, you know, I told him when he broke his band up, I said, if you ever get back in the music business, give me a call, which he did not too long, uh, you know, later, and uh, we added a bass player and a drummer, my friend Ronnie Beidle and Alan Wentz, um, you know, we did some auditions, and Ronnie I had played with in a previous band. And that was the quartet that uh, we started playing. So we already, you know, he had a great reputation in all the clubs in the tri-state area, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. That was our sort of stomping grounds. And so we went right up on the, you know, club basically. And uh, and really, you know, that was the time when music was changing. We were playing like Robin Trower, Foghat, Led Zeppelin. Uh, but then the Commodores came out, KC, you know, David Bowie, Fame, and yeah. all these funk songs were coming, yeah. you know, the whole sound was changing mm -hmm. but we you know we were really adept at uh learning what was current and we really changed our sound from rock to what i want to call rock you know funk rock we mm -hmm. tried to do rock sounds with 
you know, funk beats, dance beats. Mm -hmm. And uh, but you know, the song is autobiographical. Someone actually did come up to our drummer at a gig and said, "Hey, you better start playing some funky music, white boy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask that. I, I read that in another interview, and I was uh, I was going to you know probe you about that the auto autobiographical uh, nature of that song. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what it was. Yeah, we. Yeah, we played uh, these big discos. They were 2001 discos, and at the time, that was a futuristic name, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. 76. So, but you know, there was, the dance floor would be packed, and listening to the you know Commodores, the, you know Earth, mm -hmm. Wind, and Fire, and and as soon as we start playing our set in between the DJ, you know, it was like crickets were out there, you know, and everyone <laughs> once got a drink. <laughs> and that's what someone actually did say to our drummer, you know, you better play some funky music, white boys. Whoa. And, uh, wow. you know, Love it. You know, and uh, we draw, uh, Ronnie came back to the dressing room and told Rob that. We all laughed, and Rob started writing the song that night, actually, you know, in the club on a napkin. Wow. And I kind of want to... Uh, what a story. Yeah, you know, and those are how those <laughs> songs happen, is that they're kind of, uh, oh, yeah. you know, right off the cuff. Yeah. yeah, right. And, you know, we were, I guess, styled ourselves after the Commodores in particular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like the band Trapeze, you know, which yeah. is a great you know great band and um you know had sort of like funk funky elements but rock and roll sounds mm -hmm. you know and I, I in my head i was you know what robert palmer later did mm -hmm. you know that that's the sound i was having in my head and uh you know we went a little bit more r&b-ish i think but um but then we got to play with so many great bands you know on tour it was you know that song went up charts so fast and all of a sudden we're touring with the commodores and earth when the fire and wow yeah you know average white band and mm -hmm. You know, it was pretty amazing, really. So those all became influences, I'm pres presuming, in how you produce and how you write mm -hmm. now and, and even how you perform. Yeah, very much so. And uh, after, you know, the, the 70s and after I left Wild Cherry, I actually went into the studio uh, down here in Florida. I relocated to Florida. I met a guy named Bob Greenlee who owned a record label called King Snake Records. It was an indie blues label. Hmm. And, uh, and I was an engineer producer session guitarist for a lot of blues acts that you know kenny neal you know mm. Rufus thomas wow just yeah, i mean we did a hundred a couple hundred records over the course of 15 years there so that really you know and then i really delved into uh american blues which was the funny thing about uh growing up being a british invasion fan fan right, right. you know you start seeing these songwriters you know who's muddy waters you know who's otis rush who, who right. are these guys and then right. you start discovering America's blues roots mm -hmm. and how much it, you know, meant to the British guys, you know, mm. and uh, it's funny how that, uh, you know, I liked all the British guitar players, Peter Green, you know, Jeff Beck, of course, Eric Clapton, but they were all enamored with the American players, so it's mm. funny how that went back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. But that, re that really developed my style, I guess, you know, the uh, blues and, and then rock on top of that. That's my natural style is blues, rock, guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you, you kind of went to uh, Molly Hatchet for a while and oh, played with them. Love it. I did. and uh, Fun band. You know, I, I like Southern rock. I, you know, I didn't know that much about it, really, but uh, I was on tour with Lonesome Dave in Europe, and we were oh, yeah. playing with Molly Hatchet. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and Fog out, this is, I guess, you know, we're jumping ahead to about 90, uh, 89, I guess, 90 through 92. I played with Dave. And uh, the original, all the original members of Fogat were reforming in 92. And I just finished a tour with Molly Hatchet, and Danny Joe asked me onto his bus and asked if I would join his band. Um, hmm. He knew that, that I was basically out of a job. So uh -huh. I said, uh, 
He said, you want to join our band? I go, uh, yes, sir, I do. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> but we, I did three albums with them, and it was very challenging from a guitar standpoint. Oh, a lot of harmony guitars, you know. Hmm, Not unlike uh, the Allman Brothers, but a little bit more rock-oriented, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm. This is Arnold Strick with Mark Langston of St. Louis and Tomb. We're talking to Brian Bassett, who's a guitarist for Fog Hat. They're going to be performing at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville. April the 13th. I'm kind of enamored by studio musicians, and you've you've done some, like a, you were a studio house, in a studio house band, and how a lot of times they are heard on a lot of records and for a, for a lot of uh, performers, but people really don't know who they are. And what was that experience like? Mm-hmm. Well, what I loved about it, when I had a band in Pittsburgh after Wild Cherry, we would try, you know, we had a great band. We were sort of Night Ranger style. We had good management. The guys that manage Sticks now, uh, Charlie Bresco was our manager back then. But we could not get a record deal, and it was very frustrating to have a lot of great songs and just have them die on the vine. You know, it was really difficult to make a record in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like now with a laptop. I'm, in fact, you know, mixing on a laptop the new Foghat record as we speak. But oh, wow. back then, you needed the, the backing and the distribution mm-hmm. and everything of a record company, and without the deal, you didn't really go anywhere. So when I got the opportunity to work with an independent record label, you know, we didn't sell millions of records. We sold thousands of records. If we sold 25,000 records, we were ecstatic. Hmm. Blues records. But what what I loved about it was we were able to get a band in and, you know, work on a record and put it out, you know, and the, the group would have merchandise to sell on the road. You know, we were on all the college radio stations and anyone that mm-hmm. featured blues. So just to have be able to do projects, have it completed, get a product in your hand, that was very satisfying in that time. Mm-hmm. You know, when it was very difficult for bands to get record deals. So we helped a lot of young artists. Now, when was it that you really started to pick up uh, slide guitar and, and, and use some of the slides in, in your performances? Was that when you were at the well, university? Had, or You know, I played a little bit of, you know, as a session musician, I played a little slide. But when I met Lonesome Dave, uh, the great guitarist Pat Travers, who became was a friend of ours when I moved to Florida, brought Dave to uh, one of our, you know, I had a quartet called Blue House, and we played every weekend in Orlando. And he brought Lonesome Dave to one of our shows, and we played very eclectic, you know, songs by, uh, you know, southern, southeastern blues guys, Lightning Slim, you know, Lonesome Sundown, all these really, you know, odd songs dave knew every one of them being the blues historian that he really was and uh we started jamming and then he asked me to go on tour with him and he goes oh you play slide by the way and i was like oh of course every day yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like an actor hey do you ride a horse oh yeah i ride yeah. them all the time yeah but uh so i really when i met dave i really studied the song the fog at songbook intensely and you know worked on my slide technique so that's really when i got into it heavy yeah just discuss that because I think people, you know, I, I did a little research on that before we t- we uh, were getting ready to talk to you, and it's it's quite a bit different than what I thought it was. And uh, playing slide guitar, oh, and yeah. you know, we start out with Robert Randolph here on the, our mm-hmm. theme, and uh, but you know, the various kinds of uh, brass, glass, mm-hmm. and ceramic that you can use, and then just some of the technique that just. Discuss that a little bit for for listeners, so they can get, get a clue in, on what you're doing uh, when they're watching you. It's a tough thing to do. It yeah. is a very, you know, intricate thing actually, and and you just brought up a good point. I mean, there's so many different techniques, so many different materials. They all sound different. You know, brass sounds great. I play ceramic, 
which is a you know sounds like a brass but isn't as heavy and doesn't damage your guitar. Uh, you know, I play with a low action, lower than some. You know, because I do a lot of cording while playing slides. So when I had a when I played brass for many years, it would nick the frets of my guitar. So like little odd things like that. Which finger you put the slide on is a big decision. Rod Price, Pat and Bonnie Wright, rates a uh, play it on their second finger. Um, I play on my third finger. A lot of guys play it on their pinky. So, I mean, there's all these little, you know, deviations. And then, uh, you know, you have so many different styles of players. I mean, Warren Haynes plays great. Derek Trucks is unbelievable. You know, Randolph is like you just mentioned. You know, I think he's more of a lap steel player. But, right. um, you know, so there's all these different techniques. And then there's so many great slide players coming out of Nashville, which are more country. You know, you have to decide if you want a clean Stratocaster sound or... You know, I studied Rod Price for so many years, and that's loud, distorted slide through a Marshall amplifier, so there's all kinds of muting techniques that you do with both hands, you know, to get a clean sound. So, you know, there's, you know, I, I, you could, I could probably do a series of instructional videos just to point out all, all these minor differences. You know, it's not just, you know, pick up something, put it on your finger, and slide away. There's a lot of things, What how you tune your guitar. You know, right. Johnny Winter played open A, I play open E. You know, there's different tunings um, to consider. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into the, that slide technique, you know, of any great player. Well, and, and discuss that a little bit more, Brian, in that, you know, I'm a, I'm a I don't want to say a former musician. I, I, I'm always a musician, but I don't play my clarinet anymore. But all the work that goes into, you know, working those things out, not in the, in the practice room, I would say. And, you know, on your own, in your room, you know, going through chords or getting through, getting uh, fingerings down and, and things like that. How, how has that evolved for you when you finally were like, okay, I'm really kind of comfortable with the slide now. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm where I want to be. You know, I've been in Foggett now close to over 20 years. And um, the first five, six years, you know, I was always very picky about intonation. I think that's probably the most decisive thing when you're learning slide is mm -hmm. how to play in tune because mm -hmm. nothing sounds worse than a bad slide note. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. There's no hiding an out of no. tune note uh, when you're playing slide. You know, when you're playing regular guitar, you know, you can add some vibrato or, you know, you know, bend the note a little bit on a slide. You're either hitting it or you're not. So intonation is probably the best, the, the best indicator of someone's level, you know, skill level. You know, some people are natural at it. I mean, I, it was my that was my most difficult thing was playing in tune consistently. You know, some guys just have a natural thing. Like we do a lot of shows with George Thorogood. Oh. You know, and he just he just rips away and it always sounds great. So, you oh, know, yeah. maybe I'm a little hard on myself, but uh, you know, to me that that was my biggest challenge. And and I didn't realize you play on the fret versus between the fret. Oh. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the first things you figure out. You know, you because really when you you know, put your fingers without a slide. You when you play regular guitar, right. you know the, the it is stopping on the fret. You're just behind it, pushing right. the string down to that fret. So, yeah, once you realize that, oh yeah, I got to play right on top of the fret. So, um, yeah, that's definitely uh, one of the first things you learn. We're talking to Brian Bassett. He's guitarist for Fog Hat. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. They're going to be performing at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville April the 13th at 8 p.m. You can get some tickets. Go to the Lincoln Theater-Belleville.com, and you can get more. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back for our next segment. You're listening to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston on the U.S. Radio Network.
St. Louis In Tune, we strive to bring you informative, useful, and reflective stories, as well as interviews about current and historic issues and events that involve people, places, and things. We cover a wide range of topics, such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, health, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports, and that's just to name a few. While St. Louis In Tune originates from the Gateway City and covers local topics, we also connect to what's going on nationally as well. If you missed any of our previously aired programs of St. Louis In Tune, simply visit stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. There you'll find the show notes and everything that was mentioned in that episode and all the other great episodes as well. And if you've got an area that you'd like us to examine deeper, well, just let us know by dropping us a note at stlintune at gmail.com. That's stlintune at gmail.com. St. Louis In Tune. It's heard Monday through Friday on the usradionetwork.com and many great radio stations around the U.S. and, of course, right here in St. Louis. Our website, again, is stlintune.com. Visit us today. That's stlintune.com. That was Brian Bassett on the guitar starting that off, folks. This is Arnold Strick with Mark Langston of St. Louis in Tune. We're talking to Brian Bassett, who's guitarist for Fog Hat. They're going to be performing at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville on April the 13th at 8 p.m. So that, wait a I'm just I'm just jamming on this song. Oh, for yeah. <laughs> I, I, do, do you, is that your ringtone on your phone, uh, Brian? <laughs> no, not really, but uh, I think it is on my daughter's. <laughs> love that song. I love that song. So, uh, d- did you just kind of work on that lick, or because yeah, th- this is fascinating to me? I saw this the special on the Beatles of how they were coming up with their songs and how they wrote their <laughs> lyrics and then worked out all their stuff. You know, songs that just kind of float together in ten minutes are rare. How did you guys put your songs together? How was that song put together, and how are you doing that with Fog Hat? Well, like I said, we were at that time changing our style into a uh, you know funk style. And a lot of the bands, and once again, the Commodores in particular, you know, there'd be a chording, you know, guitarist, and then a single note, you know, guy playing a funk, you know, single note line behind it. That was a song structure that was common back then. In fact, we played a song by the Commodores called I Feel Sanctified, you know, that had that same kind of combination. So, you know, it was, it was done deliberately. You know, I was the single note, you know, guy, and Rob sang, and, you know, did uh, the big chords, you know, behind it. And, uh, you know, he had the chord structure, and I just, you know, came up with that line, uh, the single note line to go along with the chord structure. So, uh, yeah, we, you know, worked it out in the basement where we rehearsed, and, um, you know, we started playing it live. It's funny, though, that song, you know, became very popular in our area even before we recorded it. It was like one of those songs, I think, that guys that didn't like to dance go, well, I'll try that one, I guess. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same right. one. I mean, how I always say we made the wedding circuit because you know every time you go to a wedding, it's on the you know the dance list you know for the after party. So that mm-hmm. and, you know brick house and uh, uh, you know all those kind of songs. Yeah. We are family, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, but yeah, it's one of those songs that I think people just you know like to dance to, and it, you know I think that really did a lot for it. Plus, it was kind of tongue in cheek, funny. 
Yeah, so, but it, it, it's it's part of our culture now. Right, I mean, that right. song it's it's got to be quite a thrill to to produce and write and make a song that is part of our culture that people use at their weddings and uh, just having a good time with. I mean, it's it's got that test of time. You know, that's that's a great thing yeah, to have. You know, yeah. I'm just, you know, we're all, you know, the guys in the band, we, we're still proud and excited that it's still out there, you know, it's like oh, yeah. it's used in movies and right. things like that, so, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I've played a million guitar notes in my life, but those nine notes will be the ones that mm. people remember me for, so, <laughs> but, you know, it's great to be a part of a song like that, you know, it's just it, it's exciting, my kids are excited about it, and. It has to be. You know, is it is it still a thrill for you to hear your song on the radio um, or playing on a movie? Do you get? Do you still get that? Uh, does it still, you know, energize you a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's it's just a point of pride, really. We, you know, I'd love to hear it. Mm. But, you know, it's not nice to be part of people's family gatherings and you know to hear it at a party and mm-hmm. you know my sisters and. You know, when my parents were with me, they were they were always excited to hear it. And I, I have a large extended family, cousins, and, you know, they always drop me an email. Hey, I heard your song here. Yeah, right? You know, yeah, yeah. I just walked into a bar. Yeah. Uh, so, part- yeah, there's nothing really as a musician. There's really not too much better, no. you know. No, pardon me while I turn it up. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's... My, uh, my girls get a, get a kick out of looking at old videos, you know, when I had big... You know, bouffant hair. <laughs> yeah, what was that all about? Come on. <laughs> Why? I, know, but I, do, I, know. I obviously used it all up, by the uh, Yeah, <laughs> you, you and me both. It all up. You and me both. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that you used the um, used it all southern <laughs> southern rock uh, uh, statement because I, I was reading something where you guys are the quote undisputed kings of boogie rock. And I, I was like, Boogie Rock. I like Boogie Rock. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a unique mix of blues, hard rock, boogie, and signature use of slide guitar. But, you know, when you talk about kind of, uh, I don't want to say this in a, in a bad way, but how people want to put people in a certain kind of box. Okay, oh, they're, they're this kind of player. Or they're, they're, they play in this kind of style. And that's not really what, what you have kind of, you play all different kinds of styles, but you have maybe some favorites. Yeah, absolutely, and I, you know, I think most musicians enjoy all kinds of music. I don't think anyone's really in their own mind pigeonholed. You know, I, I love a good country song. You know, I love you know Vince Gill. I love you know, right. you know Keith Urban. I love all that. He's great. You know, yeah. two great guitar players. Oh, like, yeah. and you know, I love classical music. My daughter's in an orchestra at Stetson University here in Florida. You know, I love classical music. So I think most musicians have a wide range. You know, what what's lucky for us is you know Fog had is a well-known name from the 70s and most bands you know when you hear deep purple or ozzy osbourne or you know led zeppelin you know you you have that sound in your head you know i think it's a pigeonhole and is a little tougher on unknown new bands when they're trying to come up and establish their own sound and you know they get you know put in that indie category or this kind of category you know and you know it's different and you know radio is all different too than it was in the 70s so uh, oh, yeah. you know i'm sure you guys remember you know, the great radio stations coming up, you know, you would hear, oh, yeah. you know, Charlie Parker, you know, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, Janis Joplin, <laughs> right. blues, you know, mm-hmm. it was very diversified, you know, so all radio stations are more split off now into country, classic rock and what, mm-hmm. what have you. Right. So, you know, I think it's a little more difficult for the young guys now. Um, you know, everybody that has a, you know, a name in the business, you know, has their own, basically uh, their own category, you know, so. Right. 
relationships seems to have been a, a big thing for you. You know, uh, you know, Lonesome Dave and some of the other guys that you mentioned about just being able to move from group to group and not being quote unquote unemployed at the time. You know, would you elaborate on that for people who are kind of getting into the industry or want to get into the industry? That how important those kind of contacts are. Well, you know, networking is everything in the music business, and and I will say your musical ability is only fifty percent of it. You know, your your personality, uh, you know, your ability to get along with people, and like I said, you know, we play for free, get paid to travel because travel, you know, with a bunch of guys on a tour bus, especially in those in the old days, you'd be gone five, six, eight weeks at a time on a bus, you know, with you know five to ten, you know, guys. And getting along is a big part of the music business, you know, especially touring and live. So, uh, you know, and then being musically versatile and open to ideas, you know, you can, you know, I consider myself a journeyman musician, so I always like collaborating with other musicians and mm -hmm. working on their music, their writing. I'm not, you know, some people are, you know, stars or singer-songwriters that are singular artists and have backing musicians. That's, you know, a concept that... I see all the time, but I'm, that's not me, really. I'm I'm a collaborator. I'm a band player. You know, I'm not the uh, the main guy out there, which has it comes with its own you know problems and its own challenges. So uh, so that's been my experience. Is you know you get a bunch of guys that get along well and play well together, and then you know you do you make your music. Was that experience uh, when you were a professor uh, interesting as you dealt with some music students? And what, what courses did you teach? This I want to hear. I want to hear all about this. <laughs> yeah, this is like, I did you have Wait, did you have Buffon hair when you were a professor? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see you in a tie and Buffon hair. I was, I was very and professor bell looking like. <laughs> okay, there okay. All right, sorry. I had wire, wire rim glasses and, uh, you know, not much hair. So wow, okay. <laughs> Just had to ask. I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I taught at the Mike Curb School of, uh, you know, Arts and Technology at Daytona State University, which is a brilliant thing. I don't know if you've heard of Full Sail University, but it, it was also, it was a recording, you know, school. You know, taught you uh, recording engineering, music business, you know, it was all around video editing. It was, you know, a, but an arts and technology program. I taught what, what was called Contemporary Ensemble, which was basically, you know, School of Rock. Everybody in the program had to, you know, play in a band, basically. And I taught three of those, you know, classes every semester. Um, you know, they, and then the kids would come in. Some of them were great musicians. Some of them were there for the more technical aspect of it. And we sort of made them play. If, you know, if they mm -hmm. couldn't play guitar, you know, you could play tambourine or, you know. But most of the kids in our programs, you know, were musicians at you know at some level. So that's like basically what I taught, and I think the thing that I tried to convey the most was that hey, listen, I was on a number one record, and here I am in your classroom talking about it, and I live right down the street from you, so success is not as far away as you may think, you know. So I tried to teach individual, you know, skills and um, how to how to learn songs. I mean, that's basically what I did was run rehearsals and try to show you know the kids how to run a rehearsal how to practice how to let ear train by listening to records you know what key is that in you know what chord is that you know things like that so just really basic um beginning band techniques you know that's you know, what I was teaching you know what I get from you Brian is you are really grounded in in who you are and in your craft and you're not uh where you, you 
where I've seen, and you've probably seen too, what people who they kind of get out there in a little prima donnaish, you know, they want to you know strut their feathers around and. They're, they're like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's something else that will come along. But you seem to be very grounded, and I really appreciate listening to that. It, it, it makes it, um, you know, more enjoyable from my end knowing that, okay, the guy that's playing that, he's just a real guy. Yeah. He's not somebody who thinks he's, you know, somebody has got a weight on him and anything like that. I don't know if um, okay. you've had that comment made or what. Well, I appreciate that. That's I consider that a high compliment. Um, so that's how I think about myself. I mean, I'm just a, a normal guy that happens to play guitar and enjoys it, and you know, and has been able to do it for a lot of years um, and make a living at it. Um, right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really down too much with the prima donna guys. You know, like I said, there, there are guys that are stars, and they, they said that that is one of the things they have to deal with is that ego. You know, self-esteem, and you know, and how you you know, envision yourself as an entertainer. You know, some guys we you know we used to call it LSD, you know, lead singer disease, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they but some guys you know need that you know with that ego or whatever it is you know, to maintain their their stardom. I guess you know I don't know it's, it hasn't been my problem. I guess because I'm don't consider myself that in that category of that entertainer, um, but. Yeah, well, thank you. Like I said, I just, what you said was um, very complimentary to me, and I appreciate that because that's the way I think about it. I think about it as a job, and and I enjoy meeting people that have the same frame of mind that I have. And, you know, so, I mean, I've been playing a long time, and I've met hundreds of musicians, and the guys that I tend to hang out with and talk to and remain friends with all sort of think about it the same way I do, you know. They run into people at an airport. Hey, how's it going? Where are you going? And what city right. are you playing in? And right. stuff like that. You know, it's just um, right. You know, that's the way I look at it. It's just a, a, a fun job. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, it's kind of nice to be normal. It's like yeah, I, li- I like you said. Yeah, I live down the street. You know. And when I get done, you know, I'm on stage. There's 20,000 people out there. I got to go and I just go home. Right. <laughs> Sleep in my bed. Yeah, right. It's like you know, gotta, get in my car and drive home. Yeah. I know. It's like, <laughs> nothing special. So, but it is special. It, it is, is very special. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, what you give us is very special. It's it's a very yeah, and special. I'm, and gift. I'm very, you yeah. know, I'm I'm very blessed. I consider myself blessed to do something that I love like yeah. that, and you know, right. have it go over well with people. Yeah. And get paid to travel too. Oh, why not? You know? That's it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so when you when you get paid to travel at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville, <laughs> April the thirteenth at eight p.m., what can fans expect? Well, you know, we're going to obviously play some of the Foghead hits that everyone loves to hear and, and we love to play. Uh, we got a couple deep cuts from uh, albums. We're going to play a couple new songs that are going to be on our upcoming album, which is I'm um, making right now. We finished principal recording and I'm mixing it. Uh, so we'll have something out in the summer, new release studio. And, then, uh, you know, you might hear something a little funky maybe at the end. You know, I never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it? It's got to be hard to do uh, new rock music nowadays. I mean, I always see all these classic rock. Uh, I I was a disc jockey in the seventies. I remember when Foghat hit hit the scene and Sammy Hagar and uh, Thin Lizzy and all these bands were coming out at that time. But I don't see that kind of a surge anymore. I mean, for rock and roll to be there, uh, it, is it? It's got to be a difficult thing. Is it difficult? I don't. I mean, maybe I'm missing yeah, something um, here yeah well you know it's difficult uh trying to get new music by classic rock bands 
out there. You know, I mean, you have we have our fan base, and so we'll sell to our Foghat fans from our website, and you know, we're all digital music. You know, sold these days. We actually the last few releases we did, did vinyl runs too. Mm. So, you know, we have a fan base that'll buy some of our stuff. It's not like the old days where you know it's in the millions. Right. I don't think anybody is really anymore. No. Um, you know, except the, the top, very tip of the pyramid, but um, yeah, it's just the whole music business is different, as you well know. Uh, the way you distribute music, the way people consume music. I mean, I can remember in years past worrying whether there was two or three seconds between tracks on a vinyl record. You know, just mm. you know, from a wow. artistic standpoint, you know, does this song run well into that one? Does it, you know, so mm. as a part, you know, I was on a, the Grammy board for a long time. And the, and the producers and engineers wing. And this was a discussion where when digital albums, are, you know, got put up on iTunes, it goes alphabetical. You know, it takes the concept mm-hmm. of a record, uh-huh. pretty much destroys it. You know, so we were, tr- you know, trying to figure out ways in the new digital age to, you know, keep the integrity of a record, right. you know, song order. And, you know, because it was a big thing back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you want a rocker going into a ballad? Do you want this song going that? Right. Should it wait four seconds to... You know, let the atmosphere shift before the next song comes up. So all those kind of artistic considerations and making a record have totally changed. Mm. And, um, you know, it's almost like a singles market now, like the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I don't know. Young bands have a whole different set of challenges than us classic rock guys do. You know, we have our record, you know, out there. And in fact, we just, you know, released, um, uh, there's a compilation came out on uh, the first five, that record just came out as a digital CD package this past week. Mm. And so we have those records, and they're in the can, and they're, you know, sequenced, and they are the way they are. How you make a new record for an old band? Well, we just do it for fun now. <laughs> and, um, well, you know, we, we recorded our leisure. I, we have a recording studio in Central Florida, and we just and we rehearse and write and we record, and once we have a bunch of songs we like, we put something out. Mm. But, yeah, it's quite different from the 70s, obviously. How fun. Sounds like fun. Yeah, good for you guys. Yeah, you know, like we're fun. we're gr- grateful that you took the time today to talk to us. We've been talking to Brian Bassett. He's guitarist for Foghat. They are performing at the Lincoln Theater in downtown Belleville, April the thirteenth at eight p.m. Brian, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. We greatly appreciate it and have enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast to keep up on all of the latest episodes. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.